Turn with me, if you would, this morning to John chapter 20. We'll be reading verse 1 as our text this morning. The first day of the week comes Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and sees the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. Let's pray. Lord, again, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you for this day, this great day, this holy day, the day of resurrection, the day in which all history revolves around. Help us to be faithful in proclamation in our lives that we are Christians and we do the things that God has commanded us in our worship, in worshiping Him and resting one day to glorify His name. Help us to be again those who are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, this morning as we again come to chapter 20, chapter 20 and, and, and all the Gospels when it comes to this text again, and all the texts that deal with on that morning, the first day of the week coming, they all point out again a change. A change is coming over the world. See, the day of resurrection again changes the whole world because now in that day, this is the day the Lord has made because the Lord Himself has come forward out of the tomb and now the nations will change. They will be brought into the promise of Abraham's covenant and be made children of God and sons of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And this will change the world. And so this morning we have to ask the question as we we are Reformed and we are Christians and we worship on the Lord's day. So why did God change the day under what whose power and might was it changed? And why? And so as we look at it this morning, we see there are only two days which God has said are my days. They are actually one day. It's just the day has been changed. In creation, God rested from His labors. He says, again, in the commandments, He says, In six days, God created all things in heaven and earth and all that is. And on the seventh day, he rested from his works of creation. But also that day became a picture of, again, the slave that was returned and given freedom. Remember, he tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 5, which again is the restatement of the Ten Commandments. He says there again, remember that you was a servant in the land of Egypt. Remember, that's literally a slave in the land of Egypt. That the Lord thy God brought thee out hence through a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore Jehovah thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath. Now see, he ties creation and freeing of the slave together. God took them from the bondage of Egypt, which is a picture of sin and death. And in the fall, all men died. In Adam, there's none that have not fallen. There's none good, no, not one. And so now, even there, we see that God established a keeping of His day in Adam. When He says, in the end of days, Adam and his family came together to worship. And that little phrase, end of days, is probably referring to the day of rest. The last day of the weeks, the end of days, plural, is the six days of work, and now they come to rest in God 
and service and worship him. And so we see that working out from creation. But now the second day, see, both of them are associated with creation. The first creation in which God, the Son, the Word, created all things, and then he rested. Now remember, it says God. Remember, God is one. We can speak of God doing something, or we can say Christ created, the Word created, but we can say God created. We can say God saves, and we can say we save through Christ. All those are the same thing because it, one just distinguishes the works within the context of the Trinity in those. But now as we come to, again, there is first of all the rest from our labors, and now there is the rest in the labor of redemption. In the Old Testament, when God spoke to Moses, He laid out a promise. He made a promise and a covenant with Abraham. But now in making that covenant with Abraham, remember God saves and gives him a covenant and a promise that he will save many people. He will have many nations come out of him. And then we're also promised that now that one will come out of his seed to crush the head of the serpent. And so now we see as we come this way, we see now in Christ's coming, it is a new creation. Christ comes to make a new creation. He is restoring His covenant and He is establishing the covenant which is called the new covenant which means a restored covenant, a reestablished covenant. The fulfillment of all the promises given to Abraham are now fed and made in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 3. He is the one seed and he's the one seed that crushes the head of the serpent. And again, is called the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And so now we see him. And now he comes and he reestablishes a second Sabbath. That first Sabbath still is mandated to all men. Whether they keep it or not, or never heard of it, they still, God says, one day belongs to me. You'll be judged for it. But now in Christ, we see there is a new one. And we see in Hebrews chapter 4, he says, For he, that is Jesus, for he that is entered into his rest, that is Jesus has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Now he draws those two things together. As God in creating all things, the world rested from his labors. Now the Son, who is God, only He is God in the flesh. He rests from His labor, and you are in Him. In the Old Covenant, we see there was work, then there was rest. God began working on the first day of the week, making the sun, the light. Then He rested on the Sabbath. Now in Christ, we start our day in rest. Why? Now, if you look at us, we work and then we rest. We're in Christ. Our life is all in Christ now. We are in rest with Him. We rest in Him because, again, He has, again, caused us and given us what we need. Matthew Henry puts it this way when he talks about that rest. You are at rest. Everything has been done and finished and we are in Christ who is at rest and seated by His Father. He says, Every true believer has ceased from his own works of righteousness 
and from the burdensome works of the law, as God and Christ have ceased from their works of creation and redemption. So we can say now, what signifies that for us? How do we know the difference from Labor Day to resting in redemption? Okay. And so now we see, as we look at our text this morning, we see, first of all, on this first day of the week, it is the eighth day. Remember in Scripture, in both, both Old Testament and New Testament, the word number eight is a, a number of, we would say, new beginnings, renewal, recreation. See? You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's a picture there of what that number brings to us, and we see it throughout the Scriptures. And so now as we look at it, we see now it's on the first day of the week. That's the day of new creation, a new beginning. On this day, the world, we might say, stops for a moment, catches its breath, and Christ comes forth, and we see now all of history is changed. And now the whole world and history revolves around the resurrection of Christ and what that means in the life of His people and His church. And so now this is the importance here. And this is the beginning of the new world. The new creation. As God says, you are saved now. In Christ, the Holy Spirit saves men of every kindred, tongue, and nation. He renews them. He regenerates them. He gives them new life. And they are all, you are, if you are a Christian, a new creature in Christ Jesus. And you are being renewed daily to be like Him. And so now we see this works forth as we come to look at it. Now, how are we going to come there? How are we going to prove or show that the day of Sabbath is a day declared by God? Okay. Well, let me just first of all point out, first of all, the first seven days or six days, the first Sabbath was established by God Almighty. There is no greater power who has established and appointed that day of rest. So it would take someone who was equal to him to change a day and take away the Sabbath from labor that God rested in creation to make it a new day. But now remember, the day changes what it stands for does not. There's new meaning in the fullness of it, but things still don't change. We're still in God. We're still in the Lord. We still are resting in Him. But now notice, first of all, as we look at this, when we come to the Westminster Confession, it makes a point in how we need to read Scripture and understand things, okay? It makes this point about how we look at Scripture. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether a, by new revelations of the Spirit or of traditions. In other words, we believe Scripture is closed. You can't add anything to it. And so now we see as we come to look at the Scripture, what, what are we saying here? We're saying God does not say in the New Testament, thou shalt keep the first day of the week as a, as a day of rest. 
but by good and necessary consequences of seeing what happens after Pentecost, or actually after the resurrection, we see again that the church begins to change. Now, in the Old Testament, remember, they kept the Sabbath. They kept all these rules and regulations. After Christ's resurrection, the apostles didn't just walk away and say, that's the Old Testament. We don't have anything to do. Remember, every day they would go to the temple. They would go to the synagogues. They would present the gospel, though they kept worshiping with God's people on the first day of the week. But now notice, and so now we go back and And so what does the fourth commandment teach us? See, the duty of it has not changed. It's the day. So it says again, the fourth command requires the keeping holy to God such set times as He hath appointed in His Word, expressly one day in seven to be a holy Sabbath to Himself. Now we've grown up in a, in a time and dispensationalism came in and dispensationalism said the Old Testament's dead, the New Testament is the only place we get and unless God restate something in the New Testament, we don't have to keep it. And then they said, well, we, the Old Testament is old and the Ten Commandments are in the Old. We don't have to keep the Sabbath any longer. Literally, they do not believe you have to. You can do whatever you want to. You should worship, but now that's all. See, the Old Testament is a book that teaches you some morals. That's about it. See? Now, again, as we look at what it says now, but now, so how can we look at the Scripture? Now, the first thing is we're going to look at saying, good necessary consequence okay when we go back to the old testament does the old testament set anything aside in preparation for the first day of the week i think it does very clearly okay as you look through certain things within the context of the old testament you see first day eighth day 15th day 50 those numbers are special in the idea of new beginnings okay First of all, we see God made a covenant with Abraham. Remember, he told Abraham, you mark down all the male children in your family. Any child, any male, on the eighth day you circumcise him. What does that mean? God's covenant was a sign and seal of, again, God's covenant with Abraham. And it was a promise that I am the God who saves by, by faith. And here is my sign, Abraham. I want you to have my sign in you. This is not your testimony to me. It's my sign to you that I am the God who saves by faith. And I want to, I've made a covenant with you. And making a covenant with you means you mark out all of your children because everything you own in your household belongs to me. It's in covenant with me. And if you don't mark it out, I will cut him out of the covenant. Now, what's that saying? He doesn't say, if you don't circumcise him, he's not in the covenant. He says, no, if you don't circumcise him, I will cut him out of the covenant. See? So now, that idea, circumcised on the eighth day, the circumcision spoke of a new life of the cutting away of sin as baptisms represents the washing away of sin. The male organ speaks again, remember, of Adam's as the representative of mankind and him sin and he passes on sin in, from himself. So the male speakers, again, is still in representative of head of household. Again, in him sin is passed on and now 
in the circumcision, it speaks of new life. Sin being cut away, but new life is given. A new creation is given on that eighth day. Secondly, again, lepers and those who had sores that were breaking open. If they ran, like people had boils, they could not go among the people as long as those things were open. But when they were healed, they on the eighth day, that would have been a Sunday, they were to go to the priest at the tabernacle, and there he would sacrifice and wash them with water, and they would be clean and reestablished within the context of the community. It speaks again of new life being reestablished in the household. Again, we see at the Feast of Tabernacles, in that particular feast, there was a, on the first day there was a Sabbath, then there was a eighth day Sabbath, and then there was a 15th day Sabbath. Most of the others just had a, a eight day Sabbath in it of those feasts. We're talking about Day of Atonement, Passover, and Pentecost. And so we see those things are picturing for us. Now, when it comes again to the number 50, see, after Passover, this is where Christ rose from the dead. From that day, 50 days from that point when Christ rose that morning at the Passover, that was the Sabbath before it. That first Sabbath, 50 days would be Pentecost. That was the day the Holy Spirit would come down that was promised to them. And again, the Holy Spirit would come down and we would see the church regenerated and supernaturally life will come to 3,000 in one day. They will be baptized. And that's where again, the sign that God had given to Abraham of cleansing and washing is now given to them without blood. And we see the covenant with Abraham now is expanded. The covenant with Moses was only to the Jews. Unless you were circumcised, you had nothing to do with it. The world was outside. Even when Christ goes to the cross, the world is outside. Only salvation was in Israel. But now when it comes to Pentecost, remember when Christ was on the cross and it was darkness and there was an earthquake and the temple's curtain in the temple between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, was written to opening it up for all those who come in. That was the picture of it. Now God will accept the world. And in the New Covenant, everything is expanded, not withdrawn. We need no temple any longer because Christ is our temple. He is what the temple stood for. God in the midst of His people. Christ is the sacrifice. Once His blood is shed for once, where their blood is shed over and over. Circumcision is ended. There's no more need of blood. Christ fulfills all those. And now the world, men of every kindred, tongue, and nation are received by God. And so on that 50th Pentecost is speaking of that. And there was also the 50th Jubilee year in Israel, which was a 50th day. Remember, 49 and then 50. There's another picture of new life because on that day, all bills were done away with. All peoples that were Israelite slaves were freed and go back, went back home. Free. No debt. The land returned to its original owners. See, all those things were pictured of new life. And so that's as you look at the Old Testament. And that's giving us some pictures to things to look for in the New Covenant. But now again, 
in this year of Jubilee, the slaves being freed, there's a picture in a psalm, in Psalm 118, verse 22. There we see it renewed over and over in the New Testament. I think there must be about eight places in the New Testament. This verse is looked at and understood. Notice he says there, the stone which the builders refused is become the head of the corner. Now that text probably is David writing and thinking of his own relation, but the Holy Spirit is guiding it and pointing out to the forward of Christ being this cornerstone. Remember, David was rejected by his brethren, his whole household. They rejected, remember, he was just too young. His own brothers kind of you know, made fun of him. But the other nations, Saul wanted to get, get rid of him. And then the other nations, when Saul was dead, wanted to get rid of him. He was, again, put down as this cornerstone rejected. But now, it's also it's referring to Christ Himself as the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. In other words, He's saying, God's in control here. Though they reject the cornerstone, God is in control and He will yoke Him and make Him the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is a marvelous in our eyes. This is the day Jehovah hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day of resurrection. This is the day of Christ reigning and ruling and sit at the right hand of God. Remember, in the kings of Israel, much of these things are, are like what we see in this psalm. When a king's son was set on the throne while he was still ruling, he would say, this is the day. This is your day. Thou art my say, this day, or you are my son, my only begotten son. Now, remember, only begotten in the New Testament and the Old Testament is not all necessarily an order. You're my first and only begotten son. It means that you have a status. In other words, you find in places, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the first begotten son of Jacob as far as, as it comes to uh, being born. He was first. He had the birthright. But Jacob takes his birthright and he takes the place and he becomes the only begotten son of his father the firstborn. It speaks of status. And so now when Christ comes, he when he's born, he's again, he's announcing that he is now the king. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee, refers to the resurrection of Christ. And now he will be exalted to the right hand of his father and receive his crown. See, this, this is what he's talking about here. On this day, now, again, Martin Matthew Henry says, it may be very fittingly be understood of the Christian Sabbath, which we sanctify in remembrance of Christ's resurrection when the rejected stone began to be exalted. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. This day have I appointed thee. Thou art my son, you're sitting and ruling now. You're the ruler. And so again, he sets him forward. Now, in the book of Acts again, when they bring the disciples before them in, in the Sanhedrin, and they begin to tell them what they can do and what they can't do. And Peter begins to speak, and he says, By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And what do you think they're thinking? He's alive? He's risen? Remember? Even by him does this man stand 
here before you because they had healed a cripple. It's by Christ. He says, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. There's that picture again as we see it before us. And now again we see, as we now look at the New Testament evidence. There's no, as I said, there's no verse that you can find this, this do. It's just what they do that we follow, okay? So again, as we look at it, good and necessary consequences, what happens, okay? All the Gospels speak on the first day. I think he's saying that for emphasis. God rested on the seventh day from all of His labors of creation. On the first day of the week, God Himself was given His throne, His power, and His resurrection, and all glory in time is now, as we could say, is stand still until it's done. Now all things revolve around this day. The first day of the week when they come, and remember the women come not expecting a risen Lord. They come expecting to be able to get somebody to help them move the stone away so that they can finish their preparation of burial of the dead. But now he says, no, this is the day of worship. This is the day Pentecost comes down. Life comes to the world. And so again, all the Gospels speak of the resurrection in the same as historical statements that are to be paid attention to. God rests. Christ now, the second person of the Trinity, who was the God who created all things by Himself and of Himself, and there was nothing made that was not made by Him. Now, He is the same one now who has raised from the dead, giving life to those who were dead in their trespasses and sin and making them new. And so the gospel on the first day of the week, the day of new birth. Jesus rose that day in the resurrection. And all through now the history of the New Testament, we see that motif of the first day coming up and what the people who were the believers, the apostles, the followers, the disciples of Christ now, as they go out into the world now, the Jerusalem. So first of all, we see in Luke 24, remember, on the very same day Christ raised from the grave, He told Mary to go and tell the disciples to meet Him. Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. We don't know where He's going to it on that point. We just know He's there. And there are disciples of Christ. Well, I don't believe they were the apostles, but I think these were other disciples of Christ who had believed. And they begin talking to this man who they don't know who He is. And Jesus miraculously keeps him from knowing who He is. And he opens up the word and speaks. And he says, we thought he was the Christ. And this is the third day. They don't say, and this is the third day. And he said he was going to raise. No, and this is the third day and we're lost. He's done. He's dead. And then Christ opens up and it says, and Christ reveals himself to And he breaks bread with them. I think he's talking there about the communion that they had in the upper room. And so again, he breaks bread with them. It says their eyes were open when they had took the bread with him. Now, in John chapter 20, verse 19, the very day of resurrection, Jesus came to his disciples. In verse 26, on the another eighth day, again, this, his disciples were with Thomas with them. 
And then Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. Remember, this is where Thomas says, I can't believe, Lord, unless I touch your hands, unless I touch the spear in your side. But now we come again to the book of Acts. Now, again, Dabney makes a point as he's speaking about this in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, and through 2.1, he says, again of Pentecost, he says, the first day of the week received a second sacred and august witness as the weekly solemnity of our religion, not only in its observance by the whole body of the new church, but by the baptism of the fire of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. On Pentecost, again, another first day of the week, they're proclaiming God and God's Holy Spirit that He had promised the disciples 50 days ago or before that, that He would come down and He would make His presence when Christ went back to His Father. And He pours out the Holy Spirit upon these people, giving them new life. 3,000 people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's new life. That's power coming from the Spirit as He gives them this new life. And so again, we see there in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. That's, that's with Paul later on in, in the book of Acts. Paul preaches unto midnight. Another place it says in Corinth, And on the first day of the week, Paul collects the offering up to take it back to Jerusalem if they're going to help people in Jerusalem, which had been having earthquakes. And now again, when we open up the book of Revelation, it says, And I, John, was on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's day. So over and over we see through the Scripture these ideas coming forward. But then let's take one more step before we get too much further. Again, as we look, we see in the church history, you can find quote after quote after quote. I've given you just a few. I bet I could give you 50 to 75 quotes if I wanted to go back and really start looking. But these are just a few quotes, and I'm not going to read them all. There's a couple I want to point out to you. Because now, Ignatian, the very first one, now, he was one who was a student of John in the early church. Remember, John didn't probably die until past 110, somewhere around in there, uh, the year 110, maybe even further. Most of them died after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, when Jerusalem was completely destroyed. But now Ignatius, writing around one, the year 107, now so you had Christ crucified 30 to 33 AD. Jerusalem, 40 years later, is completely destroyed and there is no more Jewish religion. Judaism is dead. No temple, no worship, no sacrifices, nothing. Now, Ignatius writes this, If then those who had walked in ancient practices attended unto newness of hope, no longer observing Sabbaths. Now, he's talking about Jews who were converted. But fashioning their lives after the Lord's day, on which our life also arose through him. The Lord's day, the day consecrated to the resurrection, the queen and chief of all the days. And these other verses keep, will tell you about what's going on, what's happened. Sundays, I even mentioned uh, in the Justin Martyr, one of the famous writers, he writes more about exactly how they carried out their worship. But now 
he uses. But Sunday is the day on which our, our whole common assembly, because it is on the first day of the week, the day in which the Lord came forward. You know, and I want to just read down. In Eusebius, now he wrote around the year 325. And he wrote during the time of Constantine. Constantine was the Roman emperor and he had moved his kingdom to Asia and he was Constantinople was the home. Constantinople or Nicaea was near that. Remember the Nicaean, uh, Nicaean Creed was developed there. He oversaw the writing of a Nicaean Creed. He was a, an emperor but he knew Greek. He knew the people. He had become a Christian. Okay, And so he writes about this in a commentary on Psalm of the Sabbath, Psalm 92 uh, again. And he writes this, and I want you to get there because he's kind of developing what was going on in 325 in, in Asia, in this place, Constantinople, and around Europe in a world where the Christian church was. He's writing about the Christian church because now he, as the emperor, had become a Christian. His kingdom was Christian. That didn't mean everybody was a Christian and he didn't force other people necessarily to become Christian. But he writes this, The word by the new covenant translated and transferred the feast of the Sabbath to the morning light and gave us a symbol of the true rest. The saving Lord's day, the first day of light in which the Savior gained the victory over death and celebrate holy and spiritual Sabbath. Even all nations redeemed by Him throughout the world assemble and do those things according to the spiritual law which were decreed for the priest to do on the Sabbath. And he's talking about worshiping, reading the word prayer. All things which it was duty to do on the Sabbath, these we have transferred to the Lord's Day as more appropriately belonging to it because it has the precedence and is first in rank and more honorable than the Jewish Sabbath. It is delivered to us that we should meet together on this day, and it is evidence that we should do these things announced in the psalm. Notice he draws the Old Testament and New Testament together. But now, in this, he's pointing out that as Constantine has become a Christian, in his nation, as the head and ruler of the nation, the emperor, his nation would make practice of Christians. And on that day, believe it or not, in Constantine's time, he declared that his government would have no businesses, offices of business opened on the Lord's day. He didn't make people become Christians, but his offices were closed. The whole of the Lord's day. Now, the Seventh-day Adventists, and those who want to say, well, no, it's the first day there, he, they, they believe Constantine was a pagan and that he forced the Christians in the world, since he was a Roman emperor, to become worshipers on the first day. The problem is they never look. See, they have an agenda, and they have to make things fit their agenda. They never think, well, you know, he was converted he became a Christian, and what he did is he followed what was the customs and traditions of the Christian religion that he just joined. Christians don't work on the Lord's Day. They worship Christ on the Lord's Day. And so his did. See, they never thought to say, well, he just picked up what was the traditions and just said, this is the law. 
I'm the king. I'm a Christian. I will worship on the Lord's day. See, so again, as we look at the day, what do we do? Do we men show forth enough to say we are Christians? See, how do you keep the day? That's a testimony in itself to the world that we know him and we are resting in him on that day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and mercy that you gave us this day, Lord. It's a day that is your day. It's the day that is the greatest day of all, and the power to make it would be the power of all creation alone could change that day from the last day to the first day, which is the day of life. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. You've made all things new for us. And Lord, we are in you and we rest in you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.